0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Susan Smitten. This is Raven Debriefs, a show about the intersection of law, ecology, and indigenous knowledge.
1: My name is Girash Gutsliyei Lola Terry Lynn Williams-Davidson, and I'm a member of the Skidans Ravens from Haida Gwaii and I come to you today from the beautiful territory of the Semayamo Nation, and I'm
0: happy to be here today. Terry Lynn Williams-Davidson, lawyer, singer, knowledge keeper, and weaver of worlds. She hails from Haida Gwaii, a wild archipelago off of Canada's west coast where bears, whales, otters, and eagles all dwell in a lush, coastal rainforest soaked in rain and salt water.
1: What really drives all of the different practice areas is a desire to protect Haida Gwaii. I started in this practice as a singer from a very young age in the potlatch realm and in feasts in Haida Gwaii. But I also noticed the incredible threats upon Haida Gwaii, upon the land and sea and ocean beings, And was therefore inspired to go to law school. And I see the practice of law and my art practice and my singing as different aspects of exploring Haida laws and ways of conveying messages about the importance of Haida culture and the importance of protecting land and sea.
2: swan they saw while stunned
1: my law corporation after uh, a central oral tradition, where Raven brought the world into being through a series of crazy and funny and great events. And as Raven was doing that, Raven was originally white and became black through flying through the smoke hole. In looking at Raven as white Raven, I realized that Raven was someone who didn't care about his own circumstances, but was more looking towards the greater good of people in bringing light and warmth and fire to the world. And I thought that that would be fitting for the practice of my law, which looks to protect land and sea. And given the centrality of White Raven to the Haida and other coastal Indigenous peoples, I thought it was fitting to name my law corporation after that. But also, when I married my husband, Robert Davidson. I had a close friend who was a seer and told Robert that he needed to marry a white raven and that I was the white raven. And so Robert created this beautiful piece of art that we gave away at all those who attended our wedding. And it depicted him as a red eagle and me as a white raven and the two of us joined together. So with that sort of footing, I realized that that was part of the impetus for naming White Raven Law.
0: We asked Terry Lynn about her story, how she became the counsel for the Haida Nation, an expert in both Canadian common law and Indigenous laws of the Haida people. She talks about how she brought the stories and laws which she was raised with into the courtroom when her nation challenged powerful logging interests in the landmark Haida case at the Supreme Court of Canada.
1: Aboriginal law is Canadian law about Aboriginal or Indigenous peoples. It's not Indigenous laws. Indigenous laws are the original laws that already blanketed the landscape and ocean spaces of Canada. It's only really more recently that Canadians and even Indigenous lawyers have started exploring Indigenous laws and these original laws and how they have persisted uh, through the great work of people like John Burroughs and others who have really been advocating for recognition of Indigenous laws in Canada. The first introduction to the manifestation of Indigenous laws came in the Haida case when I told the Supreme Court of Canada about the Haida view of the forests and of Haida Gwaii and Cedar Sister. The Haida case was filed when I was an article student and so I walked into that litigation and worked on developing the affidavits. As I worked on those affidavits, I really saw the need for the litigation in that Indigenous peoples were having to work through mountains of evidence on a cut permit by cut permit basis or a road permit by road permit basis without any understanding of the accumulative effect of logging. And so we tried to advance these bigger issues of where logging could occur and how much logging could occur and what the methods might be. But there was no means to advance that in the negotiation process, even though the Treaty Commission process was recently established then. And so the existing case law was consultation and literally mere consultation, letting someone know, more notification, and then proceeding with the development anyway. And we wanted to push that envelope because we thought surely if an Indigenous nation has an incredible body of evidence proving the importance of the forests and showing a really strong case for title surely it can't just be a mere notification and it can't just be mere consultation there must be a greater obligation and so that was the argument that we advanced forward to the Supreme Court of Canada was pushing for this idea of adding in accommodation for those indigenous nations who are far along in the process of proving title or rights and where the impact of the decision could be very large. This was the forest and the cedar sister and so important to Haida culture. What came out of the Haida Nation case was this idea of a Haida consult. Our view is that when you look at the land base now on Haida Gwaii, where we've protected 52 percent of the land base, where we have collaborative management and a say over 100 percent of the land base and where the rest of the land base is managed under new rules of EBM, that is what accommodation requires and that is what the honour of the crown requires instead of diminishing it to just a mere consultation which even today is what the crown is advocating for and we say the crown should be held to a higher standard like what happened in Haida Gwaii. And so Cedar sister in the Haida worldview is a supernatural being who takes care of everything, literally from cradle to grave, from diapers to women's products, to our clothing, to our canoes, to our homes and on and on into memorial potlatches and boxes that we were put to rest in. Back then in 2000 and 2004, before the Supreme Court of Canada felt it was important for the court to hear about a different way of seeing the earth, and that that conceptual shift would really change how you manage forest spaces. If you thought of a cedar tree as your older sister, you wouldn't necessarily think of annual allowable cut and clear-cutting practices and all those things that are so prevalent in forest management and I realized that from her came a very different way of living with the forest and out of that worldview came different ways of managing forest spaces and so then I realized then that that there were many other supernatural beings like that who also had messages to share and also gave us an opening into a different way of living with the land and sea. All of us are brought up with a basis in Haida laws, although they are not called laws. and they were not called laws when I was growing up and when people are growing up now, it is just simply a way of living. And so what really has come from the efforts of people like John Burroughs is recognition that these traditions, these practices, this way of living with the land and sea are actually laws. They're not written down in the way that Canadian laws are written down. So it's a process of working with elders to to articulate what these laws are flowing from oral traditions and ways of looking at the world as with Cedar Sister. So the Haida Nation case was filed in 2002 and was proceeding through the courts to the Supreme Court of Canada. It was a case that we challenged a decision of the forest minister in BC, to approve a tree farm license application. And so what we did is we proceeded on the basis of affidavits, sworn testimony, and the court assessed volumes and volumes of evidence and determined that we had a strong case of title, but didn't actually make that ruling. They determined that we had a strong at first glance, or prima facie case of aboriginal rights to the forest. And that was the sort of the basis for the case proceeding. And from that affidavit evidence of elders, we were able to pull out these stories of oral traditions and of the Cedar Sister. For us, we have advanced a form of title that includes reconciliation, that involves local people. That was part of what happened in the Haida Nation case that went to the Supreme Court of Canada. We built upon the roots of reconciliation that had been established and developed a community consensus on the extent of logging and where logging could occur before we got to the Supreme Court of Canada. Ultimately, that led to the village of Port Clements intervening in our favour and saying that they had more trust that the Haida Nation would take care of that community than the province of British Columbia or the government of Canada. One of the laws that exists in all of the management plans, is seeking wise counsel. And so none of us, not any individual, holds all the answers for how to implement title, but collectively working together, we think that we can find those solutions. That is important to us, to keep fostering that community consensus and working through how we live together on Haida Gwaii.
0: Following from that Supreme Court challenge... The Haida are currently pursuing a case that claims Aboriginal title not only to the lands of Haida Gwaii, but also to the marine environment, foreshore and seabed around the archipelago.
1: We filed the case in 2002, and the case has been proceeding very slowly through. We've collected evidence from every institution in the world that is relevant to the litigation or that is relevant to the Haida Nation. The Haida were clear that this wouldn't be just an instance of collecting evidence for litigation, but also would be evidence that would help reinfuse back in cultural rejuvenation, so that when the evidence is collected and when it is repatriated back to the communities, people could learn anything they want about Haida culture through searching through that database. The Haida have really done a great job of taking a forward look to litigation in a way that will always be continually circling back into the community. The test for title in Canada is exclusive use and occupation of spaces. That test isn't necessarily a perfect fit with a case for title to marine spaces. There isn't a case in Canada that has made that finding. And so we're literally in new territory in bringing a title case that includes ocean spaces. We have drawn upon the typical kind of use and occupation evidence Primarily, use of ocean spaces, but also some areas that Haida people had occupied before the sea levels rose to where where they are today. So, we have archaeological evidence of of occupation of what are now foreshore spaces or, or deeper. But we also are drawing upon how supernatural beings occupied those spaces, which is a very different lens for a court to look at, for them to turn their mind to a nation's conception of space that doesn't necessarily require use, but that respects the space in and of itself, much like the Maori have done with recognition of space and granting title to space in and of itself. We're at early stages of bringing this evidence. We've just completed collecting thousands of documents that originated in paper or spoken word form through oral history. And we're now entering the electronic portion of evidence which will complete this year. Literally millions of documents to go through and following the tradition of um, acknowledging supernatural, we'll be using artificial intelligence to get through the millions of documents that exist in their own archives to be able to review and disclose it to the Crown. The Crown will likely also be disclosing millions of documents that exist in electronic form this year. Much of our evidence draws upon what elders have said about the importance of marine spaces, the different species that they fish throughout time, and the great work that the Haida Nation has already done looking at use of marine spaces and the supernatural element of marine spaces. I guess in the Haida case, the Cedar Sister emerged because we were focusing on high grading of cedar, and it was the perfect share in that litigation. Marine spaces is much bigger, and there are many, many supernatural beings that exist in the marine space. The greatest of the supernatural beings that lives in marine spaces is called Tangwan or Tangwane. We believe that anything we put into the ocean goes into the home of that supernatural being. The supernatural beings, when they come out of the marine realm and into our realm, they appear as killer whales. They put on literally killer whale skins and appear to us in the form of killer whales. There are many oral traditions where we journey down into the undersea world and interact and receive knowledge from the supernatural beings in marine spaces. And when we go there, those supernatural beings appear in human form just as as we are in our realm. We've gone into their homes and received the knowledge of how to use cedar bark in ceremonies. And I find it so interesting that our use of cedar came from the marine spaces and from the supernatural beings of marine spaces. So all of that to me really emphasizes a Haida law that that the Haida Nation has articulated many times about the law of interconnectedness. This idea that whatever we do on the land base affects the ocean spaces and vice versa. And so the Haida are have done really great work in bringing out these fundamental basic Haida laws that are shared with other indigenous peoples and having those come to bear on management of marine spaces through the Guayanas Land Sea People Plan, through the marine plan with British Columbia and then also a marine plan to manage Skankinklas, Bowie Seamount, which we view as a supernatural being that appears in the ocean. When the tide goes down, the supernatural being appears over the water and then the tide goes back up and we don't see the supernatural being. So all of the different reefs like Bowie Seamount are supernatural beings. So I talk about this in my book, Out of Concealment, but also in the song, The Cycle of the Supernatural Beings from Grizzly Bear Town about the idea of supernatural beings cycling through our existence, through appearing as supernatural beings in their realm, and then eventually becoming the land and sea, and becoming the reefs and becoming the mountains and and becoming the killer whales. And that really, I think, should fundamentally change how we interact with the land and sea when we realize that a certain cliff Uh, like the cliff behind my ancestral village of of Skidans, is a supernatural being in its own right. And that there is certain conduct that we should take to pay respect to these supernatural beings before we go into their space. We watch the birth of the land, the origins of humanity. Glaciers and floods we cleanse the earth. We became the land and sea. Now we stand up and say, Gudinge Klat Ega, Gurung klats Gadi,
3: make your mind strong. <laughs>
0: That was Terry Lynn Williams Davidson with her song "Cycle of the Supernatural Beings" from her album "Grizzly Bear Town." You're listening to Raven Debriefs. Signed in 1993, the Guayhanas Agreement was made between Canada and the Council of the Haida Nation.
1: Well, Guayhanas is significant to the Haida Nation. It uh, it comprises 25 percent of the land base of Haida Gwaii. And when the agreement was concluded, it recognized that it was protecting an incredibly globally significant area, culturally and environmentally. That recognition has informed management of spaces. And that recognition allowed us then to obtain an injunction preventing the opening of a herring fishery on Haideguay because the Crown in the Guayanis Agreement committed to managing to a higher standard than they had previously. And that higher standard had to be applied to the herring fishery as well. The Guayanas model is the first time that we're aware of when the Crown and Indigenous peoples agreed to the concurrent exercise of jurisdiction to manage a space. So that is the earliest form of reconciliation in this country. It also was the earliest form for the Haida people to start engaging in reconciliation and building community consensus. So it's significant for the Haida people, but it's significant for the country to see that there is a way to respect Indigenous knowledge, to respect Indigenous jurisdiction, and for both jurisdictions to live together. The the Crown has been reluctant to tread on that territory since then, but we think it's an important avenue for others to explore going forward.
0: In 2014, Raven partnered with Haida Nation, along with six other nations, to form an alliance called Pull Together. The nations launched legal action to protect their territories from a proposed tar sands, pipeline, and tankers project called Enbridge Northern Gateway. First Nations argued that their constitutional rights had been violated because government and industry failed to adequately consult them on a project that would fundamentally alter their way of life.
1: In the Embridge Northern Gateway um, litigation, we also recommended and advocated for that higher standard to be applied uh, for the approval of uh, projects that allowed supertanker traffic through our marine territories. But the court didn't, didn't examine that and didn't need to, given the way that it disposed of the litigation around consultation and accommodation.
0: Raven teamed up with Sierra Club BC, and together we raised more than 650,000 dollars for court cases that ultimately quashed the project approval and resulted in the cancellation of Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline.
1: Well, the Haida are, of course, forever grateful to Raven to helping the Haida participate in that litigation and to helping many of the Indigenous nations who were united through opposing the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline project. We were all united in having that common stance towards the project and likely united through the support of Raven and uh, it was an incredible experience to work alongside many nations and their legal representatives to come through and coordinate the best approach and the best way to present the evidence. The court required that but also we knew that we also needed to coordinate to present the evidence given the severity and and size of the project it was incredible to receive that victory and that decision oftentimes in preparing for that litigation it felt like we would never win that the project was so far along that it was so big and that it appeared to be so important to certain interests in canada that we would never win so it was so astounding to, to receive that victory, to know that all of the cumulative case law uh, and decisions over time could be brought together in a way that allowed the project to be defeated for lack of consultation and accommodation. The Haida word for law includes the word respect. The Haida have defined reconciliation to include making things right. I view that word as making things better. There are many things that have happened in the colonial process and history that may not ever be able to be made completely right, but we can certainly work together to make things better. And so grounding those words and the word for law is this idea of respectful working together. Much of what the Haida have achieved through the Guayanas agreement and the collaborative management of the Guaihanas area has been recognition of the need to work together, the need to recognize that we're all human beings trying to find our way through better living and respect of, of land and sea spaces. And so I think that is the great promise of bringing Heidel Laws to justice and to this idea of correcting things, of making things better.
0: This is Raven Debriefs. Please subscribe, share, and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The establishment of title means much more than simply jurisdiction over lands and waters. With title comes an even deeper sense of belonging to and responsibility for the land, in that those legal orders or relationships are recognized not only by the Haida, but by Canada and internationally. The resurgence of law comes hand in hand with the revitalization of language and culture, which Terry Lynn Williams-Davidson has witnessed firsthand over her lifetime.
1: When I was young and started singing, there were no singers left in my community of Skittigate. Gujo was singing in another community and now is living in Skittigate, but that was the extent of singers then. And so my mother started a dance group of the children of the community, working with the mothers of those children, and... That was a really good way to reintroduce song and dance back after it had been outlawed uh, under the Indian Act, uh, the prohibitions against potlatching. So there were very few people singing in those days. And then I fast forward to, I think it was the potlatch of Idansu, Jim Hart, and Rainbow Creek, my husband's dance group, was uh, performing at that potlatch. And we entered into the hall and the whole hall sang our entrance song the entire hall old young everybody and it was such a powerful moment to really like that was a milestone and a marker for how far we had come to where children didn't hear those songs growing up to where every child hears these songs now and it it really was affirming for the work that all of us have collectively done to get to that point It's so wonderful that Raven is occupying this space and doing this work to support Indigenous peoples. It's, uh, it's heartfelt and really does mean a lot to allowing Indigenous peoples to keep advancing this agenda. And I'm always so happy when people are interested in Indigenous laws. so I'm, I wish you well in that.
0: What an honour to hear from one of the world's Preeminent Indigenous lawyers. Today's show featured the magnificent Terry Lynn Williams Davidson in conversation and in song. Music you heard on this episode was by Terry Lynn, Bill Henderson, and Claire Lawrence and is from their latest album, Grizzly Bear Town, available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Do subscribe to this podcast, Raven Debriefs, to hear more conversations with courageous innovators and leaders. I'm your host, Susan Smitten, and today's episode was produced by Andrea Palferman. For more on the work of Raven, I encourage you to visit raventrust.com. For now, take care of yourself, and thanks for lending us your ear.
2: and high I was Just remain today <laughs> The wars in whisper Anger is victim Just so like cancer.